Welcome to A Year with Jesus, where we're going to spend time on how to think, live, and love like Jesus. I'm Bill. And I'm Philip. And this is Matthew chapter 18. And 19. We've got a lot to cover. All right, so Philip, so the last time we uh, spent some time in the Gospel of Matthew, what we saw was Jesus talking about the fact that he is going to die. And here, at the beginning of chapter 18, what the disciples are focused on is greatness. It seems like Jesus has his mind on the cross, and the disciples have their minds on thrones, and you just kind of see where their brains are at with all of this. Right. They just keep thinking about maybe their own grandness or their own position. And so now a child is brought up to Jesus. Truly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples need a refresher on humility. And I think that's something we can all relate to. Absolutely. Again, I have small kids. Like what, one thing you know about children is children, they don't seek status. They don't know about honor. They don't, you know, they're, they're kids. They do whatever. You know, and I think that that's a lesson for the disciples right now. They're they're spending a lot of time thinking about status and honor and what's going to make them great, what's going to make them look important. And, you know, and that's just not what kingdom discipleship is. That's right. And Jesus really drives home here our responsibility as servant leaders mm-hmm. to take care of these kids, that we don't want to do anything that would cause them spiritually to stumble. We've got to set that example for the children in our lives. We've got to give the training and the instruction to those children in our lives so that they would know Jesus and they would see the compassion of Jesus from us rather than seeing us consumed with our own greatness Absolutely. or our own pride. Absolutely. And and and. I think that's maybe part of the issue about as the chapter continues, when he talks about the lost sheep and this concern for the lost sheep, that whenever people are self-concerned, whenever people are concerned about their greatness, their status, about, you know, impressing certain people, sometimes we're okay with sheep being lost. And and I just, you know, I come from a big family, but just think about the illustration there. Well, you know, maybe we, we struggle with sheep, but what if, what if you come from a big family and a brother of yours was lost, you know, or you lost a sister or you couldn't find your cousin? Would you just say, well... You know, Philip, I got 27 other siblings, so let me just right. cut my law. You would never do that. Never. And you would you would look out, and if you had a son or a daughter or a sibling that had been kidnapped, you would pay whatever ransom was necessary to bring them back to the family, to rescue them from the one that had captured them. And Jesus has that idea here of the good shepherd that is willing to leave the 90 and 9 to go after that one. And we've all been that one. That's right. And and I think we have that one in our families, in our church families, amongst our friends, which is why I think the next part, it goes, if your brother sins, that is the one who is lost. That is the one who's gone away. If your brother sins, are you willing to pay the ransom of forgiveness? Are you willing to pay the ransom of humbling yourself? Are you willing to pay the ransom of getting uncomfortable? Right, making that effort. Yeah, and showing them, like he says, his fault, you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have won or you have found, in other words, your brother, you've brought him back in. That's great. And what we're bringing them back to is first and foremost the Lord. But Jesus uses this terminology here in Matthew chapter 18 about verse 17. Tell it to the church or listen even to the church. He has the idea that we're meant to be a body. That's right. We're meant to be this called out group of people and that our relationship with one another is also important. So we're bringing them back to the Lord and we're trying to bring them back to the spiritual family. Amen. And and just make a quick point here. I think it's important to, to really follow Jesus's instructions here. You know, if your brother sins and you show him his fault and he repents, he says, that's where the matter ends. It's not time to go tell everybody else about the brother's sin. It's not time to go say, well, you know, Philip did this thing or Bill did this thing. Said, that's where it should end. Right. The only, over. the only reason it gets bigger is if he does not listen, if he does not listen. And and you making it bigger is not about gossiping or talking about people. It's, it's with, again, hope of bringing some people in. I think 1 Corinthians 5 carries some 
some similar carries a similar heart or you know vein within this whole thing. Yeah, this this instruction about discipline is something that we're supposed to understand. Like most of God's commands, they may feel a little hard at first. Mm-hmm. But we're always thankful when we've done things God's way. This is what allows us to be humble. This is what allows us to avoid stumbling blocks. This is what allows us to go back and get that straying sheep so that the whole family is restored. And although it can feel awkward to have that conversation face-to-face or one-on-one, when you've won your brother, what a great outcome. But Philip, you win your brother, and then it just seems like you lose them again. You know, they go back into sin. They go, And I think so that leads Peter, okay, Jesus— so you know, how many times am I supposed to try to go back and find my brother? How many times am I supposed to forgive him? Right. And Peter has this idea that, well, seven is a number of completeness, like a complete week or the complete days of creation. Seven should be good, right? And mm-hmm. Jesus just totally expands that 70 times seven, which is to say, Peter, you just you just keep going back. You just keep restoring them. And how great to know that Christ has paid that debt for us. So he tells another parable here about a slave who has been shown incredible mercy by a king and released of the entire debt. But then he turns around and forgetting the kindness that has been shown to him, he goes out and finds someone else. Verse 28 says of Matthew 18, he chokes that person. Because he's so full of vengeance and so full of arrogance to not understand the forgiveness that was just given to him. And so that mentality is something that Jesus calls wickedness. That's right. I don't extend forgiveness to others in light of the forgiveness that's been extended to me. There's wickedness there. Yeah, we're no better than the people that have wronged us. At least not to God, we're not. And so there needs to be this sense of, I'm willing to forgive people again, not so that so that I'm in the right, uh, but but it's really for the sake of saving people's souls. Yeah, for the sake of mercy, mm-hmm. because mercy has been shown to us, and mercy is this attitude that goes along with humility that God is trying to develop in His people. And this is a similar idea that you kind of see in chapter six, whenever He's praying uh, the, the Lord's prayer about forgiveness, and the Lord, you know, if, if you don't forgive, the Lord won't forgive you. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 35 of 18, he says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother. And notice, from your hearts, this is not like a, I'm just going to say I forgive you, but still treat you differently. There's a real forgiveness that comes from the heart here. I wonder, as it rolls into chapter 19, he's going to start to talk about divorce. And and I I think in some ways, obviously, Jesus will will give instructions on that. But sometimes, even within marriages, people are so quick to say, well, you offended me, you hurt me. Think about our society. I'm just going to leave you. And they just completely bypass what Jesus says in chapter 18. About this forgiveness, yeah. I think we have to kind of put in mind what it takes to forgive for a moment as we make this transition into the teaching on divorce. To forgive someone a debt. Imagine I just rack up a huge debt on a Visa credit card, and then that gets forgiven. It means they're not coming after me Mm -hmm. for repayment. And in my friendships, when someone's wronged me, I'm not then coming back to that person and demanding some kind of um, action or some kind of apology for repayment. And I'm not taking away the role of repentance, but I'm saying that I'm not in the position to demand that repayment and treat that person like they are in debt to me. And on on the other side, if I am that person, I don't, that's not a license for me to go and then take that credit card and incur another debt and and just say, well, I know you're going to forgive me. I mean, we know what Paul says in Romans chapter six, we're not to sin so that grace abounds. And so it's not God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of God's people should not be a license for us to just continue to do 
whatever it is we feel like doing. Exactly. And so I think we can look at our own lives and be so grateful for the times that we've hurt someone, the times that we have um, just broken that relationship in some way that we've been forgiven, mm-hmm. that it's not being held against us. We're not keeping a record of that. And I tell you, that's one of the fastest ways to ruin a marriage is to always keep a record, a mental checklist, a mental spreadsheet of every disappointment, of mm-hmm. every wrong, of every mistake that will just crush the heart of a marriage. And Jesus is saying, hey, we need humility. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. Which is really, you think about what whenever Jesus answers. So the Pharisees, they come, you know, and they're like, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Again, completely bypassing what Jesus has said. But I love Jesus's response because he brings it back to the beginning. Have you not heard that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and then for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That one flesh, if you think about the original relationship of Adam and Eve in the garden, it was one of oneness. There was no wickedness. There was no sin. I mean, there was just, they were one. And I think that's what the Lord is calling for us in our own marriages here. Right. He sets up that model and what marriage is designed to be and the purpose of marriage so that we can pursue that oneness. And it is an attitude of trust to know that I'm not going to be perfect, she's not going to be perfect, but that we are going to do this together, and we're going to walk with the Lord together, and we're not going to run down towards a divorce or threaten one another Mm -hmm. with a divorce just because of some shortcomings or disappointment. So Jesus then points out in response to the disciples saying, hey, this is really hard. He points out, yeah, it is really hard, but there are people that are making these choices every day because they care about the kingdom, because they care about honoring God, and because they understand the design of marriage. And it's so important that we teach the next generation Mm -hmm. what marriage is all about so that they don't think of it in terms of, well, I need someone to sign on my mortgage or I need to split this rent with somebody. Marriage is so much more than that. Amen. And if we will elevate a proper view of biblical marriage, New Testament Christian marriage, then it will help us to uh, truly be one and and to honor God in those relationships. And in that, like you're saying, I think that's the point of all of it. Regardless of the condition that you're in, if you've been divorced and you've come to the Lord and you know that you do not have the right to remarry, he says some people have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, that that your standing with God, your standing in God's kingdom is far more important than any earthly relationship here. And, I, and I, again, that's a hard statement to hear, but it's a true statement that Jesus says. That's right. So then Jesus moves us forward and he talks about the children again. Mm-hmm. We started chapter 18 making sure that we don't cause any of these children to stumble. And now he's coming back around and reminding us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It takes that childlike humility to accept these commands. There are so many times that children have to obey the instructions of a mother or a father, not fully understanding the long-term benefits, but knowing that their parent loves them. And we need to look at God's commands that way. We may not always understand why in this situation or why not that situation, but if we can listen to Jesus with the love of a child, right, then the kingdom of heaven belongs to people with that kind of heart. And, And you just think in chapter 18, he told them, you have to have this kind of heart. And now in chapter 19, they are rebuking and sending away these kinds of people again. And, and I think the very next story, I think they're supposed to go together with the rich young ruler. You almost see why 
They just, they don't get it, right? They don't want the kids around. Like, get out of here, you little rug rats. And in chapter 19, this guy who comes, you just imagine, he's got authority, he's got money. Yeah, the apostles would have been excited yeah, to see they, him join want, the ministry. We want him in the kingdom, right. that's right. And he comes, and he's even calling Jesus a good teacher. He wants eternal life. He's saying the right things. But at the end of it, he is unwilling to make the hard sacrifices. He cares about his position. He cares about the things that he has. Far too much. Those things that are visible and those things that are tangible are easy to get excited by. And Jesus wants him to shift his perspective to think about the treasure in heaven Mm -hmm. and the blessing and benefit of the relationship with Jesus. It's not just that you're going to have treasure in heaven. It's that you get to follow me. You get to walk with me. You get to have this relationship. And we need that perspective to, to absolutely put our highest hopes in Christ, in the treasure of heaven, and that relationship with him. Otherwise, we go away grieving. We go away heartbroken. Going back to the children idea, what are we seeing kids here? Yeah, I think with kids, you see that there is this, there's just this complete dependence on their parents. Adults, often, you know, oftentimes, we, we think we've got it all figured out. We want to do it by ourselves. We want to do it with our skills, our talents, the things that we have. And whenever they're, the disciples, they're astonished that this man walks away and they're like, well, who's, who, like, I mean, who can do this? And that's when Jesus says, with people, this is impossible. If you think that it's going to be by your strength, your merit, where you grew up, the, the Bible knowledge that you know, it will be impossible to enter into the kingdom. But with God, you having this faith and this trust and you are clinging on to God. With God, all things are possible. And I really think that phrase should take us all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. That Jesus has said, it's not just those who say, Lord, Lord. It's not those on the broad path. It's the people that truly want to become kingdom citizens, are willing to follow him and walk the narrow path. And quite frankly, Bill, that sounds hard. Yeah, It sounds difficult every day to think about staying on that narrow path. And we feel sometimes like, How am I going to do this? This just feels impossible. There's so many temptations around me, and there's so much pressure in our world to go back to be like this rich young ruler. Be a good guy. Honor your parents. Don't tell lies. Don't commit murder. But can I really walk in the footsteps of Jesus? And I think it's great to see with God, all things are possible. And I think for us, it begs the question, why, why would I do this? Like, why why not just be the rich young ruler? And I get that with God, all things, but why? Why would I do it? and so Peter says, look, we've left everything. What is there for us? You know? And, and that's when Jesus says, truly I say to you who have followed me. And again, this whole time, they've been wanting control, wanting power. Right. And Jesus says, look, there, there is a reward. It may not be the reward you think it is, but there is a reward in all of this. And everyone who has left their brother, house, brother, sisters, father, mother— will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. And I think that that's both a physical blessing and a spiritual eternal blessing. Yeah. And I just, you know, we, I, we've we talked about, people know this, you know, like I, I come from a very large family. I don't think I know anyone who has more siblings than I do. But in the Lord, I have far more siblings. I have a, a much larger family. I have so much more people, mothers and brothers and sisters who, who love me and who I'm loved by and who I, I get to love because this is what we find in God. And I think that's such a strong concept for Christians in our age where people are 
leaving the towns, usually the small towns they grew up in or the state that they've grown up in. They've gone off to college somewhere else. They get a job another few states away, and they're just not really close to their immediate family. Mm -hmm. But they have a family in Christ. They have a family in Christ full of houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children, like, to actually do life Mm -hmm. with. And to know that together we have this priority of keeping Jesus at the front of our lives, at the front of our choices, and doing life with people in that spiritual family, that's part of the way God makes these things possible. That's right. And and for us to make this possible in our lives, we have to be willing to view ourselves as, even though you think you're first, view yourselves as last. And the people that you think are last— Put them first, and that's the sort of mentality and spirit that, if we are, if we're able to develop collectively, will lead to this family picture that he's 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 picturing for us here. Great. So, as we wrap up chapter eighteen and chapter nineteen of the book of Matthew, let's think about some of the personal applications. I think humility just jumps out to me. Absolutely, and and a willingness to forgive people, and that but that comes from that humility as well. Wonderful. And then as we look around and we want to make an application to our coworkers, to our family, to our friends, isn't there an idea that we can't get wrapped up in these riches? That's right. And ask ourselves, you know, you can do all the things, but if you're keeping anything from God, you're just not, you're not doing what God wants you, what, what God wants you to do and being who God wants you to be. I, but, but I also wonder if there's just, as we think about Jesus and what we learn about Jesus and all of this, that Jesus is the perfect example of the one who doesn't set up stumbling blocks, the one who looks for the lost sheep, who forgives his brother, who who does all these things, who, yes. who is the rich, perfect ruler and has left all things to come and to save us little children. That's a really great way to focus and see Jesus mm-hmm. living out every single thing he's asked here because it's not just something for his disciples. It's something for him as the forerunner. That's right. That's excellent. Well, thank you for joining us this week on A Year with Jesus. Next week, we'll be in Matthew chapter 20 and 21.